Good morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how it must bless your heart to hear one of your saints. Sing of praises to her Savior in the midst of a storm. Father, we give all praise and glory to Jesus Christ and your Spirit in her. Holy Spirit, today we invite you to be here as our teacher. Thank you for this wonderful, precious treasure we have in your word. Lord, today we pray that you're pleased and blessed and that you are the ones that you are the one that brings this word to life. Thank you for this gathering of the saints today, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to start this morning in Hebrews 10. We're going to start in verse 7 today, and while you're turning there, I wanted to take you back to the days of the Exodus. God had rescued a whole nation from the grip of a heavy taskmaster, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And the people of Israel were camped, you might remember, at the great Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, starting in verse 3, God's word tells us that Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel, he told Moses. Israel had a calling. They had a role to play. A calling of obedience. And they had a priestly calling of purity and holiness, set-apartedness, if you will, bearing witness to the glory of the living God so that everyone could see. But in the wilderness, Israel forfeited their role through their disobedience, falling short of the glory of God. Thinking even further back to the beginning, remember Adam was made in the image and likeness of the living God. Radiating God's glory as he lived. He was assigned to be fruitful and to multiply humanity everywhere. The very image and the likeness of the glory of God spread throughout the whole earth. But in the garden, Adam, like Israel, forfeited his role through his disobedience. Again, falling short of the glory of God. In the Minor Prophets, you might remember there was a true prophet who had an unquenchable zeal for the glory of the Lord. His name was Habakkuk. You might remember from Habakkuk 2, maybe 
may be a primary verse for the whole of Scripture, even in the face of the disobedience of Israel and God's punishment of them through rising up foreign nations against them. This prophet holds out hope for the sovereign work of God across his creation. Habakkuk 2, verse 14, he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Adam disobeyed in the garden. Israel disobeyed in the wilderness. God's intentions for the knowledge of his glory to fill the whole earth, even as the waters cover the sea and the flood of the glory of God across his creation seemingly thwarted through the disobedience of his people. How's this going to happen? How will the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? How will he do it? Is, who is there who will carry out his will? Who will be faithful? Using Hebrews 10 as our starting point this morning, we have words of hope. Words establishing the hope for the redemption of Adam's disobedient race to the end that the Israel of God spread his glory throughout the earth through the obedience of the one, namely Jesus Christ. Listen to the the words of the Son of God spoken to his glorious heavenly Father. Hebrews 10 verses 5 through 7. Therefore when he, the Son comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. I have come to do your will, O God. I have come to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I will accomplish this. In the scroll of the book, the entire scripture testifies of this one thing. Where Adam disobeyed, I will obey. Where Israel transgressed, I will be victorious. This morning, you and I get to see the hope of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Instead of never-ending sacrifices and offerings, instead of whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin that can never make perfect those who draw near, never leading to the intended glory of God throughout the earth, instead we see in the new covenant a hope for the glory of God. Like all of humanity, the Hebrews, like Adam or like the rescued wilderness nation Israel, the Hebrews of the first century were in desperate need of image restoration so that God's glory would cover the earth. They were trapped under the bondage of the law, preoccupied with keeping God's wrath at bay by their own efforts. The Hebrews needed a once-for-all sacrifice that would accomplish final redemption for a purpose leading to an end. They needed a once-for-all sacrifice, finally cleansing their hearts of an evil conscience, liberating them from the bondage of sin, enabling them to finally live for the glory of God. 
They needed a lamb of God, willing to carry out the will of God to the glory of God. All of us are in desperate need of the God-man of verse 7. The God-man who says, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Listen this morning and believe that through his obedience, Jesus will flood the earth with God's glory. Jesus will flood the earth with God's glory. The glory of the image and likeness of God as the gospel spreads throughout the planet and his saints are metamorphosized or changed from the inside out through new birth to look just like Jesus. His glory will spread. Just as his kingdom has been expanding to this end for 2,000 years, it will march on and there will be no end to the increase of his government, the word says. His kingdom, it started off like this little, minuscule, insignificant mustard seed that few even noticed. But it will continue to overtake the whole garden. It's like a speck of yeast that eventually, methodically, almost imperceivably spreads into every part of that dough. His kingdom marches on. In fact, the gates of hell will not prevail against it because all authority has been given to him. God will have his way. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea because he will do it himself. It's the best thing. It's the wonderful thing. It's our hope. It's the decree of God. And Jesus came to do and accomplish all of those things. In the scroll of the book, in the whole Bible, it is written of him. It all points to Christ and his accomplishment. First of all, I wanted to point out this morning that where Israel was disobedient, Christ is obedient. Immediately after his baptism, our Jesus, the one in Hebrews 10.7 says that had come to do God's will, he was led by the Spirit up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, the same number of days and nights Israel, it turns out, spied out the promised land and came back with their knees knocking together because of the overwhelming sight of the enemy that they'd seen, totally forgetting what God did to Pharaoh and his armies, essentially turning away from the word of God, from the revelation of the character and might and power of God, living their life as apostates, saying to themselves that rest in the land would be impossible, wasting their appointment as light to the nations, despising the plan for the glory of God to cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea, and and thinking to themselves that it would be better to find someone else besides this guy Moses to take them back home to Egypt. An unbelief and disobedience that made God so angry that he killed most of them. Spurring a few faithful men, one of whom eventually led their kids across the river into the land. God turned this 40 days of spying out the land with unbelief into 40 years of desert wanderings and death. Jesus, in Matthew 4, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting... The same number of days in terms of year that God had committed to punish Israel for their transgression, 
After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to twist the knife. But Jesus, the God-man, truly human, tempted in all the ways that we are, yet without sin, tempted in all the ways Israel was tempted, yet instead, it says in Hebrews, having come to do God's will, overcame every temptation in the wilderness to the glory of God. Israel abandoned God and they decided they'd like to fire Moses and find someone to head back to Egypt with them. Yet Christ, he didn't abandon his trust in God, but instead stood on the sword of the Spirit and conquered his enemy by the word of God. Where Israel was disobedient, Christ, the true Israel, is obedient. You know what's amazing to me, how vivid this all is. After his temptation in Matthew 4, he carried out God's plan for Israel. In Matthew 4.14, he says, To fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. The true Israel of Exodus 19 was shining the light. The priest and king of the true holy nation was carrying out God's will. He brought light to those sitting in darkness. Ironically, he starts his ministry in Gentile-occupied land bringing light to those sitting in darkness, to those not having the word, not having the oracles of God. And in verse 17 of that same chapter, from that time began, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand. In the person of the king himself, the obedient one, Jesus Christ. Where Israel was obedient, Christ, the true Israel, Excuse me, where Israel was disobedient, Christ, the true Israel, is obedient. God's will will be carried out on this earth as it is in heaven. Jesus will flood the earth with God's glory. As a Christian, you and I have this treasure of the glory of God in an earthen vessel, so to speak. A fallen outer man housing light that has dawned upon us by the new birth. God in us. The Apostle Paul says, For God who, who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that Habakkuk talked about in the face of Jesus Christ. Because like Habakkuk prophesied, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord just as the waters cover the sea. It will happen. Is this your reality? Are you on board? Are you in alignment with God? Or maybe you're just waiting around for the rapture. Because your life is all about you and your comfort. If you have the light of Christ in you, you have license and you are assigned to take his glory to the ends of the earth. That's your job. It's not about you. It's not even about your personal salvation. You were saved for the express purpose of flooding the earth with the glory of the Lord. It's about him. 
He says in Matthew 5, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's about him. And he's using you to bring his glory on earth just as it is in heaven. Get yourself up on a high mountain, Isaiah says. O Zion, bearer of good news, lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up and do not fear. Let's notice again this morning where Adam was disobedient. Christ, the second Adam, is obedient. Remember where we started from Hebrews 10.7. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Near the end of his earthly ministry, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus and his disciples were in a garden. A garden of great anguish and pressure. A garden actually named after an oil press, Gethsemane. In his garden, Jesus was faced like no other place in his earthly life with the stark reality of the will of God. For God's glory to be spread as the water covers the sea, Adam's race needed redemption. For, for, for God's glory to be spread, people needed to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun, so that they could shine to the glory of God. We all remember another garden, don't we? A young couple, like we've noticed this morning, I'm assuming that they were young, made in the image and likeness of God, facing a task unfinished, fruitful multiplication, filling the earth with the image of God, dominion over the planet, all authority had been given them on earth, sent on this task with God's blessing, provided for, nurtured, living in fellowship with their God, walking with them. But like In the wilderness with Israel, temptation came. And Adam was to make a decision. Will I obey and do God's will so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? Or will I retreat and go my own way? Is this about God's glory flooding the earth as the waters cover the sea? Or is this about me? As you and I know in his garden... Adam was disobedient. Adam turned away from the word of God, from the revelation of the character and might and the power of God. He he decided to live as an apostate, saying to himself, nevertheless, not your will, but mine be done. 
He wasted his divine appointment as an image bearer across the planet to cover the earth with the knowledge of God's glory and made a wasteful decision that would bring all of humanity under God's judgment and condemnation and guilt transferred to each one of us. Romans 5.19 reminds us that through one man's disobedience, the many were made or constituted sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Behold, Jesus says, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. But now we see another garden, don't we? And a second Adam, almost like a spiritual do-over, but infinitely better. In his garden, Jesus was obedient. For God's glory to be spread as the water covers the sea, Adam's race needed a redeemer. Every sin had to be atoned for. Lasting appeasement of the wrath of God had to be accomplished. And every one of his image bearers' conscience needed to be cleansed. There had to be a way to restore the lost image and likeness. And the only way was the cross at Calvary. Instead of, in in his garden, instead of stiffening his neck and rebelling against the will of God, our Jesus, he fell on his face and prayed. Saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Can you hear it happening? Jesus will flood the earth with God's glory. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus laid down his life at the feet of his Father. The very glory of God was at stake. He had to drink the cup of the wrath of God. You might remember in Matthew 26, 38, he said to his disciples, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. John shares Jesus' heart in chapter 12, verse 27. He says, now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose... I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Because Jesus will flood the earth with God's glory. In their wilderness, Israel was disobedient. In his wilderness, Christ was obedient. And in the original garden, Adam was disobedient and died. But in his garden, Christ, the Son of the living God, became obedient unto death and lived. At the beginning of the New Testament in my Bible, there's a big white space before Matthew starts. I don't know where I got it, but in that space I have written... A quote that says, the most important lesson here is to see Jesus' submission to the Father 
so to inform our submission to Jesus. As you read through the Gospels, you get a greater sense that Jesus came for a specific purpose. In John 4, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 6, he says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Philippians 2, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Obedient in everything along the way, even up to the point of death. That was his purpose. What's your purpose? To live like the world but call yourself a Christian? To live as a Christian with no barriers because you're not under law, you're under grace. Nevertheless, not your will, Father, but mine be done. To think of holiness as an antiquated and old-fashioned term. To walk as closely to the line of sin as I can but not go over. Instead of running the other way because the glory of God is at stake and, and it's the primary focus of your heart. Listen. You, if you're a spirit-born child of God, the life of God in you, I want you to hear something this morning. Something a, a sinner like us wrote. You Christians are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. You're the Israel of God. It's been about Christ and his kingdom all along. Why are you a chosen race? Why are you a a royal priesthood and a holy nation? It's for this purpose. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why. For you were once not a people. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, he says, I write you, or I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Jesus will flood the earth with God's glory. He will do it. Maybe this morning you see this amazing Son of God, Jesus, in his glory. Come down from heaven, as it says in Hebrews 10, 7, to do his Father's will. And, and you say in the mirror of Scripture this morning that you fall short of his glory. You acknowledge that there's nothing in you with, that, that will even come close to furthering his cause. You got nothing. You're bankrupt of spirit. If that's you, yet you're frustrated that because your desire is for his glory, consider finally this morning that where I am disobedient, 
Christ is obedient. How will he do it? The whole earth will be filled with the glory of God as the water covers the sea. He will do it. Jesus is obedient in all things in which Adam was disobedient. He was obedient in all things in which Israel was disobedient. And finally, he is obedient in all things which I am disobedient. He will accomplish it. He reigns through all the universe, so his glory will cover all the earth. His power is displayed in mighty works, and you and I... We proclaim him as our Lord and King. What do I do? Isaiah, do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary like you and me. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. You serve him by faith today. That's what you do. And you will mount up with wings like eagles. Proclaim him as your Lord and King today. Tell the world that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And to repent and to believe the gospel to the end that his image and likeness will flood the earth through the new birth. Everywhere. Be attentive for his will, for his glory and he will give you strength. You need the strength of God's servant, capital S. The Father speaks of him in Isaiah 42. He says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. In a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait expectantly for his law. He will flood the earth with the glory of the Lord. One soul at a time, one enemy at a time will be subdued you, are among, you and I, this morning, are among the first fruits of his dominion. Your Christian life is a result of him coming to do his Father's will. And your calling this morning is to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. You're the true royal priesthood of Exodus 19, the holy nation that God would bring about, founded on Christ. Not merely in the sense that you're part of the the reconciliation process, joining people to God through the gospel. There is that, and that's true. But you are an ambassador of Christ to display his glory as you walk in his spirit. A royal priesthood of those who are consecrated solely to God. A people who separate themselves from those things that are profane. A people who offer up spiritual sacrifices in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sacrifices of godly living and spiritual worship. Shining his glory at school. Shining his glory at home with your kids or on the job or in your neighborhood. Back in Hebrews 10. Verse 15, because you and I have confidence this morning to enter the 
holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Your Jesus, he will flood the earth with God's glory and you're part of his program. As we close this morning, and maybe you're someone, as the day of his return draws near, maybe you're someone who has no confidence. The thought of him returning scares you to the core. You wouldn't admit that to anybody. I wonder, did you know that in coming to do God's will, The son offered himself as a once-for-all sacrifice on a cross. He offers to exchange himself on behalf of you. So that the wrath of God is spent on him because you can't survive it. And he offers that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because all who cry out to him for salvation will be saved. His resurrection is your guarantee. He won't turn you away. A bruised reed he will not break. Instead, he will save you. He will exchange his life for your life so that his glory will flood the earth as the water covers the sea. It's about him, and he will do it. And you will be free. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing this morning to have this Bible, to understand that in the scroll of the book it is written of you, Father, we're so grateful for this offering, this final once-for-all sacrifice. Father, thank you that it isn't just only about my salvation. There's a greater cause at stake here, Lord, that it's about the glory of God flooding the earth. And today, Lord, we pray that you would carry out your will through us. I pray that every heart here would be yielded to that endeavor. that every tribe, tongue, and nation would know the glory of Christ and that you would use us in mighty ways as we follow you in that work. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.